0: William Dyer here with Dyer Conversations. Welcome to the podcast. In today's episode, I'm going to be giving you guys a recap on a conversation I had with a friend the other day and something that inspired me to hopefully share with you something that we can learn on how to be discerning when it comes to studying the Bible. So here's what set the conversation up. I had a friend, somebody I've known for a long time contacted me, said, hey, look, I'm really worried about what's going on in the world right now. You know, you have coronavirus, you got a lot of political upheaval, you have rumors of wars overseas, a lot of stuff's going on, and they were really scared that this could be actually the end of the world. So we had a very long conversation, and I'm going to give you a brief recap of that, because I think it's very indicative of what a lot of people go through. When they hear about people talk about what the Bible says. So, it started off, they were talking about the coronavirus and wondering if the coronavirus signals the end of the world. So, let me go on record to state this right here. There have been plenty of viruses, pandemics, plagues, pestilence, famines, All sorts of things that are destructive to our world. Dozens, hundreds have happened since Jesus come until now. And what we often do is we get all in an upheaval over what's going on in our world right now. Now, I understand the coronavirus is something that's spread throughout the world, but I'd like to give you an example that we've done this before when it comes to other things that only affect what we in America are going through, and people start um getting a very much a tunnel vision of what is happening in the heavenly realms, you know what they think God is up to based off of what's going on just in America. So that doesn't necessarily fit as well here with the coronavirus because it is something that's worldwide. But I just want to say we need to take a step back, have some historical perspective, that just because there's some sort of famine or pestilence or plague or you know whatever you want to call it happening, that doesn't necessarily signal, signify the end of the world. In fact, Jesus told us that in the days when he returns, it's going to be like the days of Noah, when there are those who know that destruction's coming and they're preparing for it, but all around them, the world just carries on like nothing's going on. People are eating and drinking and being merry while Noah's building the ark. So we should have some historical perspective and not get scared, just because things like this are happening. Now, we had this conversation. It's a long conversation, and this person was pointing out a lot of different things that they thought uh, was building a cumulative effect to say we should be pretty certain that this is the end of the world. Here's one thing that we need to remember. Not everybody who says this is what the Bible says, is actually telling you what the Bible actually says. Jesus told us in Matthew seven fifteen this. He says, Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. So, I could go through a dozen passages in the New Testament, even some in the Old Testament. Here's what you need to understand. There are false teachers who claim to be Christians who claim to teach what the Bible says, but they're not. Now, I understand that there's a varying level here. You know, you have some people who are wicked, you know, evil, hard hearts, whatever you want to call it, who are teaching what they think the Bible says, but they're doing it for whatever evil means. You have those who are honest and, you know, love the Lord and are trying to do the right thing, but they're just, well, they're just in error, you know, you can love God and still be in error when it comes to what you think the Bible says. Loving God is not some sort of a safety net for doctrinal purity. So, just understand this. There are people out there who teach things that are incorrect. Whether that comes from good means or bad means, people teach things that are incorrect. So, when you hear somebody say, this is what the Bible says, you should always... Always have a filter on. I used to teach um, people this all the time, and I, I still do. I'm about to teach it to you. Be a filter, not a sponge. This is what it means to be discerning and wise. You be a filter, not a sponge. Because when you're a filter, you will actually weigh things out and think about things. If you're a sponge, you just listen to what people say. You just accept everything. And you get so mixed up and you get in such a fog because, well, you just don't know what to believe anymore. So be a filter, not a sponge. When you learn about the Bible, if you're new, and maybe even if you're not new, but you're just, you've just never gone in depth, and that's okay, I'm not criticizing you, I'm just saying assess where you're at. You may not know that doctrine comes in packages. So if there are those who teach what is right and those who teach what are wrong, you're going to have different camps. Now it gets a little bit more complicated than that because you have uh, certain topics that might have camp A, camp B, and then camp C, maybe even camp D. And you have to figure out, are any of those right? And if so, which one is right? But in me telling you that doctrine comes in packages, the thing that I want you to understand is that what I've noticed a lot of Christians do is this. They will hear somebody teach um, who belongs to Camp A, but the Christian doesn't know that that person belongs to Camp A. They just think, well, this person's teaching me what the Bible says. And then they'll listen to somebody from Camp B teach them something else about the Bible not knowing that they're of a different camp. And they'll go, okay, well, that's that sounds good, and then so forth down the line. And so they listen to all these different people who belong to these different camps of theology, teach them things about the Bible, not knowing that some of these things are mutually exclusive. So you can't necessarily believe uh, what this person tells you about, let's say, um, the millennium. And then what this person tells you about um, the return of Jesus. Sometimes those two things are going to be mutually exclusive views. And so if you don't understand where these teachings come from, and the the foundation of those camps, you might believe conflicting views and not even know that your beliefs are self-conflicting. So, Let me give you a couple of examples of the things that we talked about, and maybe we can develop this point a little bit further. You'll see what I'm talking about. One of the things that this person brought up was the um, concept of 7,000 years. So they were trying to say, look, you know, um, we're approaching the 7,000-year mark. Uh, You know, aren't you worried that Jesus is going to return, the end of the world, and all these sort of other things are happening because, well, the world's about 7,000 years old. Um wow, this one's loaded. You know, this is another thing. You know, we get into these teachings and we don't understand how many assumptions are already built into the statement that then it takes people like me, you know, a couple hours to dismantle these things and debunk these things or at least explain all the built-in assumptions. So if you've never heard of the 7,000-year view, um... Quickly, it means this, or it kind of teaches this. Christ is going to return six thousand years after creation, and that's followed by a thousand years of peace. Now, why a thousand years? Because well, Revelation tells us that there's going to be a uh, thousand years to the millennial reign of the King Jesus. Again, assumptions are built in because you have different theological camps here. Some theological camps believe that the thousand years is actually literal. So Jesus is going to reign for a literal thousand years. Other camps believe that the thousand years is metaphorical. So for example, they'll say, hey, you know, the the Old Testament says that God owns uh, cattle on a thousand hills. Well, what about the cattle on a thousand and first hill? Does he not own that? Of course he does. So therefore, a thousand is figurative. So you go to Revelation and it says Christ is going to reign for a thousand years. That's figurative for an indefinite long period of time. So in this view, the 7,000 year view, they teach that after, the, after Christ returns, you're going to have a thousand years of peace. Well, you have a built-in assumption here that the thousand years is literal. Thousand years. But that's an assumption. You would have to already believe that and have debunked the thousand years' metaphorical view. So that's one problem that you have there. Also understand that part of the background of this is um, this view that um, is called young earth creationism. And I'm not going to talk about my views right now on whether I believe in old earth, young earth, or somewhere in between. But understand, young earth creationism is not the default Christian position. You have plenty of other Christians, legitimate, honest, Bible-believing Christians, who believe that the earth is older than 7,000 years, or even the 10,000-year view that a lot of young earth creationists uh, put forth. So you have multiple other views in regards to the age of the world and the age of the universe, which is a separate question. Again, a lot of built-in assumptions here. So this person, to tie it all back together, was pointing out well, you know, we're we're approaching that mark where Jesus is going to return, and then there's going to be that thousand-year reign. And aren't you worried that you know all this stuff's happening? And are we ready for this? Think about the built-in assumptions here. Number one, Who says that the world is only 6,000 years old? That's debated. This view um, was really popularized, the actual legitimate number, 6,000 years, um, by a 17th century archbishop named James Usher. He proposed a 4004 B.C. um, creation date. And for you historical nerds, there was actually multiple other... um, young earth creationists sort of proposed dates as well, based off the chronology of the early chapters of Genesis, as it goes through and says, Adam lived this long, had this kid, then he died at this age, and then that kid lived this long, had this kid, and then he died at this age. And if you just simply do a mathematical, you know, addition there, you could trace back and say, well, this is how old uh, the earth is. The problem with that strict literal view is we've learned a lot about ancient near eastern um cultures and how they wrote history and so in learning that we've realized they don't write history like we do generally the way we we write history is very precise if you're going to write about Abraham Lincoln you're going to say he was born on this date at this in this state uh to these parents he grew up and he went to school when he was this age and then he uh went to college at this age and then he became president at this time and then he was assassinated on this date the ancients didn't necessarily write their histories like that you know and they were free a lot more free than we uh make ourselves out to be to write thematically that is to kind of couple things along in themes in fact, you know most Christians read first um, and Second Kings and First and Second Samuel as if they're very sequential, not realizing that some of those chapters you know aren't necessarily sequential that it'll tell you up to a date, and then the next chapter actually doesn't follow that date. it goes back a little bit in time to tell you more specifically about something else. The book of Genesis does this as well, all over the place. It's a constant pattern in the book of Genesis. So, the complexity of the way the ancients wrote history and how they detailed um, dates is a lot different than the way we do it. So, that sort of Western, wooden literalism, if you will, reading back into the Old Testament is just not the best view. That's about all I can say about it right now without going off on a long rabbit trail. So to tie it back in, the 7,000-year view that this person was proposing, worried that Christ was returning and the world was upon us, it's got a lot of built-in assumptions here. You know, we're, we're building in the assumption that the earth is young, that's not necessarily proven. And by young, I mean, you know, what do you mean? 10,000 years? 15? 20? I, you know, at what point does it stop being young and it turns into old earth creationism? Second of all, it's built in assumption that the thousand years is a literal reign of Christ. I don't believe that. I believe it is metaphorical for multiple reasons. It has a assumption based off of some bad chronological dating from antiquated views they don't understand uh, the better concepts of ancient Near Eastern history and the way they wrote history. That's some assumptions. Um, it also is based off of a of a view. Here's a term for you, the eschatological view. Now, eschatology is simply the fancy word for the study of the end times, but this 7,000-year um, concept is based pretty much tied to premillennialism. Now, again, I don't have time to get into what that premillennialism, all that entails, but if you've ever um, heard about things like the rapture, um, you know, you hear people talk about Gog and Magog, referencing um, Russia, or maybe China or some other nation over there, um, you know, y- the Left Behind series that you might have seen on TV, all this stuff is, is out of that camp of premillennialism. But understand, that's not the only camp. There's postmillennialism, there's amillennialism, and, you know, there's there's a couple other nuanced views. So, when you, you know, if you watch something like the Left Behind series and you go, oh, that's what the Bible teaches about the end times, no, it may be. I don't believe that. I'm not a premillennialist, but let's just say it's just one view. You have to understand that that whole TV series or our movie series is coming out of one theological camp. There's other theological camps that teach completely separate things about what the Bible says about the end times. So here's another um, thing that the person brought up to build this cumulative case about why we should be worried about the end times are upon us. They brought up the Antichrist. And here you're always going to get this when you deal with um, people who believe that what's going on right now in my life signifies Jesus's returning. They equate the Antichrist with the man of lawlessness in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And then they inevitably talk about the Antichrist in the book of Revelation. Let's point out a couple problems here. Number one, the term Antichrist is never used in the book of Revelation. And that might blow your mind right now, but go ahead, just do a word search for it. The term Antichrist does not find itself in the book of Revelation. It's only in 1 John and 2 John. And so, to take the beast or the dragon or the false prophet or any of those things in Revelation and automatically assume that, that that is the Antichrist, well, that's exactly what it is. That's an assumption. You haven't proved that yet. To equate the Antichrist with the man of lawlessness, I believe, is just really bad interpretation of the Bible. The man of lawlessness in Second Thessalonians 2 is a completely different topic. Paul in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 is talking about something completely different than what John is talking about in 1 and 2 John. In fact, if you go and read 1 and 2 John, which is the only place where the term Antichrist is used, it refers to Antichrist in the plural. That is, John says many Antichrists have already come. So, in John's day, he talks about the fact that Antichrist, plural, were already among the churches. In these Antichrists, he equates with the Greek philosophical teachers, which later become known as Gnosticism, which is something that we can get into in a later podcast. So, to wrap it up, doctrine comes in packages. And when you hear somebody teach something about this is what the Bible says, you just need to have a little light bulb go off in your head and say, hey, don't forget, don't forget, this may be something that's tied to an entire theological camp. So you need to sift through your own understanding of what you think the Bible says and ask yourself, do you have views that might be conflicting with one another because you don't understand they come out of two different Camps. Number two, don't get all caught up in the hype of all the drama that's going on in the world right now as if that signifies Jesus' return. And believe me, there's been a lot of worse things happening in the world. I think, you know, when Jerusalem was being destroyed and the Christians were fleeing the city in 70 AD because of Jesus's prediction that it would be destroyed, that was pretty epic, something for them to go through. I think when the Black Plague swept across Europe, that was probably pretty devastating for people. I'm pretty sure that the people in Germany in the 40s thought, is this possibly the end of the world? I wonder if, you know, they do call it World War II for a reason. Everybody in the world, you know, all the major nations in the world were affected here. And went into a terrible battle against an evil empire. People clearly thought that could have been the end of the world. But here we are almost 100 years later. So don't get caught in the hype. I'll leave you with this. Proverbs 14, 15. The Bible says, The naive believes everything, but the sensible man considers his steps. So, consider your steps. Don't be gullible. Be a filter, not a sponge. Until next time, catch you guys later. Don't forget to to subscribe to the podcast if you would. And if you think somebody else could benefit from it, feel free to share. Thank you guys. See you later.